0: Well, good morning again, Leslie Avinash. Good to see everyone here this morning. It's good to see some visitors. Good to see some people back. We are very thankful that you were here, and we hope if you're visiting that you will come again and visit each and every opportunity that you have. We're simply a group of people doing what we can to follow Jesus and to love people along the way. So if that sounds um, like something you want to Be part of, then you have hopefully found the right place. Please come back, be with us as often as you can. Next week, my math is correct. We are on a fifth Sunday of the month. Happens like four times a year, and so we have a special worship service every time we have a fifth Sunday. And next week we're going to have a service that focuses on prayer. Evan and I will work up some songs that deal with prayer or specific things of concern. Uh, I will speak about uh, the topic or the song or the words or the theme, and we'll have a song about it, and then we'll have a prayer led by different people. There's so much that we need to take to God in prayer, people who are sick, uh, people who are sick in our community, uh, the sinfulness of our nation and of our world, which could be done anytime in the last several thousand years, that prayer would be the same, but simply to express our thoughts and feelings to God of our concerns, our uh, items of thankfulness. We're going to do a lot of talking to God next week as our special fifth Sunday, so please join us again for that. Uh, This morning's topic is titled, The God Who Sees Me, The God Who Sees Me, and we're going to be in Genesis 16 eventually, but when I've heard lessons or presentations about God sees everything, usually it's been in a a, a situation where somebody's trying to scare me. Somebody's trying to scare me into thinking that no matter what I do, wherever I am, God saw it. You know, we used to say growing up that our mothers had eyes where? Back of their head. I know your mother does. Uh, I, I think I've seen them. But that the whole idea there was to try to, to scare children or make children be mindful of the fact that rarely do you actually do something you're not supposed to do and nobody sees it. And so I've heard lessons where God sees everything, God is everywhere, and the focus has been on trying to make sure we all behave, that we all abstain from doing things that are wrong. That's not where we're going with this idea today. God who sees me. I'm hoping that this is a, an encouraging. A couple of thoughts here for a few minutes. We pick up back in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God had called Abram to leave his home country for a purpose. We read in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A couple of things right there. Part of God's blessing to Abraham, or Abram was going to be that he would make out of Abram a great nation. I want you to remember that. Because that's going to show up later. God will make out of Abram a great nation. And the promise that came comes to us, the promise that's talked about in the New Testament, the promise that is fulfilled in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is at the very end of this. Because through Abram, through his descendant, Jesus, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's a very common New Testament thing. So Abram left home when he was 75 years old, and his wife Sarah left home with Abram when she was 66, apparently about a nine-year difference in age. I don't know about you, but uh, as we get older, we really probably wouldn't just want to pack everything up and move to, you know, I don't know, uh, some foreign country like California. Or, uh, just most of us get set in our ways and we don't want to move after we again become set in our ways. Abram leaves his father's house, all of his kinfolk and his country that he's known that he has lived in, apparently 70-something years, and goes to a place he doesn't know where he's going. He just knows God has called him and said, go, and so he gets up and go. Uh, when they arrived in Canaan, God said in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. To your offspring, I will give this land of Canaan, which is a pretty long uh, journey away from where he came from. What's the problem? What's the problem from Abram's point of view with that statement? Well, as of this time, Abram and Sarai had no children and probably did not expect any at their ages either. When they leave to go over to Canaan, he is 75 and she is 66. Even in the ancient world, that makes it seemingly unlikely due to some, uh, let's just say biological changes that can occur in men and women, that could make that rather difficult to have offspring in the future. Especially since they've been married for a good while and had not had any children to this point. Some 11 years later, so they were 75 and 66. 11 years later, so that's what, 86 and 77. Hopefully my math is okay. It's tough to do math in your head and talk at the same time. Some 11 years later, God renews his promise in Genesis 15. Look at the renewal of the promise in these first six verses of Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. That was an aside right there. We need to remember that statement. It said to Abram, it's also certainly true for us today. No matter what we're facing, no matter what trouble may be in our lives, no matter what turmoil, worries God is our shield and we do not have to cower in fear behind that shield because if God is for us, what's the rest of the verse? Who can be against us? God tells Abram fear not, do not be afraid I am your shield and your reward shall be great, very great but Abram said he he, he, He's not talking back to the Lord, but he speaks back, right? He's not being disrespectful, but he says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So 11 years have gone by since this first promise was made to Abraham, that through his offspring, the families of the world would be blessed. 11 years of potentially wondering, will we have a child? And looking for that fulfillment of the promise. 11 years and nothing. And apparently, Abram's heir is a servant or somebody living in the house, Eliezer, that had joined him from Damascus. So if you're planning to, Abram is saying, if you're planning to bless the world through my descendants, it's going to be this man in my household from Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. I don't have a child. How is this going to work? Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. This Eliezer from Damascus will not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. This is the invisible son at this point. Because the sun is not there yet. Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he, God, said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. Well, if you were in the darkest place on the earth, you can actually, somebody's done this, it wasn't me. You can count the stars and there's roughly 4,000 stars that can be seen with the naked eye. But I don't know about you, but 4,000 looks like a pretty big number if you were trying to count. I mean, what, is, what do 4,000 cups look like? I mean, it's gonna be a huge amount of cups. And certainly looks as if it's numberless. Well, there's a lot more than 4,000 people who have now descended from April. Why? Well, the stars are higher in number than you can see. All you need is a telescope or a camera, a picture taken by a camera of the night sky and those number of stars just continue to multiply. There's another statement that's made not here but that as the sands on the seashore well somebody did some mathematical checking and they estimated the number of grains of sand on all the beaches in the world. How would that be for a high school project? Give that to somebody go count know, the sand, right? And they came up with this huge number, it's got a lot of zeros after it. You know the interesting thing, if you estimate the number of stars in the universe as well, they are essentially the same. The number of stars in the universe, not that you can see with the naked eye on a dark night, but with truly knowing every galaxy that's out there that we can count, and the stars that we expect to be in all the galaxies. If you get that number and put the number of the grains of sand on all the beaches in the world, They're very, very close. I wonder how God knew that. We know how God knew that. Because he created all the grains of sand and he created all the stars. Abram is merely having to trust and he does. Look at the last statement in the verse here on the screen. And he, Abram, believed the Lord and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. Belief so secure, so firm that whatever God asks him to do, Abram's going to do it. It's tested after the Son of Promises here, when Abram gets commanded to go and offer that son as a sacrifice, and Abram's ready to do it. Abraham trusts God, not merely, okay, I'll give it a shot. If you say that's gonna happen, I'll see how it plays out. No, it is this firm confidence and belief that leads to action. And that's what Abram has. So no child yet. And certainly Sarah and Abram have been wondering when this promise is going to be fulfilled. It's renewed 11 years later, but nothing. Now we pick up in 16, which the read a couple of minutes ago. So Sarai has heard that the promise has been renewed. I'm sure Abram told her about it. And I'm sure a little bit more time has gone by, so what happened? Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar or Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, it may be that I shall have or obtain children by her. Sarai gives her slave Hagar to Abram, who sleeps with her. Now, let me pause right there nowhere does God indicate any kind of approval for this event
1: Hagar is a
0: slave she has no choice in this matter today we would call that uh, sexual violence we would this is not part of God's plan this is Sarai trying to help God's plan along with an event and action that is really a form of violence against Hagar, against Hagar. It it may have been a relatively common practice in the time, but we would not sit still for this kind of thing today. There's no indication again that God approves of this. So Hagar is merely seen as a piece of property, as a, a vessel in an attempt by Sarai to find maybe this I need to help God along with this. Maybe this is how God is going to fulfill this promise. Once one, one last time, nowhere does God indicate any form of approval from this action that Hagar, uh, that Sarai has suggested. Look at the last part of this. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Most men can't do that. Most men eventually do that. Abram's wondered where the child is as well. He may also buy into this idea that maybe God just needs a helping hand in bringing this about. So it goes along with the suggestion of Sarah. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, remember we had 10 or 11 years that had gone by already. Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife, and he went into Hagar, and she conceives. Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarah, had not had a child. I'm sure after years of trying, Sarah gives Hagar to Abram. They sleep together, and she comes up with child. So a child's coming to Abram now through Hagar to Sarah as a slave. The child born to the slave is in this case as a first child considered the heir to the husband and wife, the owners of the slave. They must have felt like they helped the promise come true by their own choices, their own actions. Look at what happens next. I I guess this is a fairly human thing, but it's a a bad thing, it's a sad thing. And when she, Agar, saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Right? You know, In the household, she had to have heard about the promise. She had to have known the frustration that Abram and Sarai had at not having a child after wanting a child, after being told this big blessing was going to come when they had a child. And she's offered to Abram, and look what I've been able to do. Look look here. I'm the one who's going to have it. Another version the NIV said, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. How open was this despising? I don't know, but Sarai feels it. She certainly feels it. The The contemporary English version says, later when Hagar knew she was going to have a baby, she became proud and was hateful to Sarah. All translations of the originals again suggesting She now views herself as the important one and is looking down on Sarai for her inability to have had a child. Sarai has noticed this, so look what happens now in verse 5. Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now that's, that's a... English Standard Version translation. Here's another version. This is again the contemporary English. Then Sarai said to Abram, it's all your fault. (laughs) Sorry, but I I love that one. It's all your fault. I gave you my slave woman, but she has been hateful to me ever since she found out she was pregnant. You have done me wrong and you will have to answer to the Lord for this. Have you ever done something that where you caused the problem and yet your reaction is always the point of somebody else. That's a hand up of confession. It may very well be that this is the attitude Sarai's expressing because she's hurting her. She's wanted a child for so long. She has been told from her husband about the blessing that's coming. She wants to have that blessing happen. She makes it up and it blows up. Not only is a child coming through Hagar that Sarai has not been able to have, but she's dealing with a feeling of being down here with Hagar up here. But Abram said to Sarah, "Behold, your servant is in your power. Hagar is still your slave; she's still your servant. Do you do to her as you please? If she's given you some lip, we might say, you know, if she's given you an attitude." She works for you, you own her. Then Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar, and she, Hagar, fled from Sarah. What'd she do, I don't know. Did she verbally smack at her all the time? Did she beat her? A slave was a possession. In the Greek and Roman world 2,000 years later, a master could kill a slave for no real reason. There's no indication Abraham, Sarah, the people here, God's people, ever did that with their slaves. But she's dealing harshly with Hagar, who's already experiencing all sorts of changes by being pregnant. And it's too much for Hagar. She decides, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. She flees. The angel of the Lord found Hagar, found her, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he, the angel, said, Hagar, servant of Sarah. Notice, you may have run away, but to God, you are still the servant or slave of Sarah. Where have you come from and where are you going? Hagar said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The New Testament has a fairly common point of view that says, Whatever circumstances you're in, you need to figure out how to be content in those circumstances. In the New Testament world, where you're born free or you're born a slave, do not seek to be worried about your status and circumstances here. You need to focus on God. You need to focus on God. You know, I'm not the, uh, the billionaire like some of the people are in our, our nation today. I didn't win the most handsome man in America contest, again. Somehow or other, I didn't win it. So I I don't have all these things, I'm not gonna be content. Whatever circumstance we're in, we need to learn to be content because our contentment does not come from our circumstances. Our contentment can only come from submitting to God. So the angel tells Sarah, she's your mistress, go back. So God sent an angel to come and give comfort to Hagar who's out in the wilderness I'm sure with a very responsible woe is me. Why has this happened to me? It's not like I wanted to be given to Abram. It's not like I wanted all this to happen. Sure, she has treated her mistress with contempt. She's, She's feeling pretty low out in the middle of the wilderness. Look what the angel of the Lord says to Hagar. Remember I asked you to remember part of the promise that was made to Abram? The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Remember the promise to Abram? Was that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the heavens and in another place, the sands of the seashore. The same essential promise is made to Hagar. Abram's offspring and through the child yet to come and Hagar's offspring through her child are both going to be of fairly uncountable numbers. God does not forget Hagar out of the in this circumstance despite showing no approval of what Sarai and Abram did Despite no verbal or any kind of uh, nod of approval to the giving of Hagar to Abram, God blesses Ishmael, the child born to Abram and Hagar, who would also become a great nation, which he did. The angel goes on to say that Ishmael and his descendants would live on the margins of society and that people would oppose them and view them with suspicion. The child of the slave woman would be viewed that way It would still become a great nation a great multitude of people so she back to Genesis 16 she Hagar called the name of the Lord who spoke to her you are a God of seed for I have seen him who looks after me where had she been? out of the wilderness why was she out there? she was in a situation she did not think she could handle so she ran away lost, out by herself, in a circumstance she did not generate, she didn't seek to become Abram's wife or be given to Abram, responded in a way that caused friction, took punishment for it, or actions put upon her for it, she runs away. God sees Hagar. God looked after Hagar. We need to remember God sees all of us today and God goes after all of us today. I'm going to ask each of us remember that this is the God of the sea. The God who loves us when we were unlovable, The God who loves us even when we were sinners separated from him. He sent his son sent his son into the world to live and die for you. He sent him for me. God sees me. Not in a form to try to terrify us for things that we do that may be wrong. God sees us because he knows where we are and he has what we need. You come home to him today. If you're a member of his family and need prayer, please come. You're not yet a member of his family. Become one of his children today. by Confessing his son's name. Turning away from the way you've been living. And being buried in water so that your sins may be forgiven. Do it today while we stand Amen.